Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalm 41. Psalm 41. We are entering back into the Psalms, and I'm looking forward to it. We took a break, and I tried to pause at a... At a uh, even number and somewhere that we could kind of know where we were going to pick back off. And so we stopped at Psalm 40. And uh, we've, we've kind of gradually gone through the Psalms slowly. We're going verse by verse and walking through these. And so we've started these uh, over a year ago. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you, a help to you. If you were to go through the Psalms, and, and really as you come through the Psalms, you'll see that there are many Psalms that could really be summarized in a couple of words. If, if you were to go to them, you'd find that there is oftentimes a promise, there's a plea, and then there's a time of praising. And, and that's kind of a theme that kind of goes along through the Psalms. There are many times whenever David or the psalmist will find themselves in a situation where they're calling out to God, they'll be finding themselves calling out to the Lord, and that plea is being offered. They'll find themselves reflecting on some promises. And then at the end of the Psalms, you'll find in many of them where they're offering praise unto the Lord because they needed God to show up. And guess what? Every single time God does. And so you see that time of praise. And so you come to Psalm 41 and tonight we're going to address those three words. And those three words I pray will be a help to you. But in Psalm 41, it has been a Psalm in which has been referred to or declared a parallel in the life of, of Jesus and in David. David here, it's been, it's been understood or it's been assumed, if you would, that this is a, a time when David is writing after Ahithophel has just betrayed him. Now you can go back tonight if you want to, and I would encourage you to do so, and go to 2 Samuel chapter number 15 and read that passage of Scripture. And then it's been a parallel to not only when David was being betrayed by Ahithophel, but also the parallel then goes to the New Testament. You find yourself in John chapter number 18, and you find a very common passage of Scripture where we understand that is where Judas betrays Jesus. And so you see a parallel here. This is something that you find. And so go with me, if you would, Psalm 41, verse number 9. The Bible says this, Yea, mine own familiar friend. Right then and there, could you imagine as Jesus, if you go to John chapter number 18, and as you're thinking about this verse right here, as you're relating and you've got John chapter number 18 and 2 Samuel chapter number 15 in your mind, imagine these words, Yea, mine own familiar friend. Judas, you knew everything. Ahithophel, uh, you, were, you were one of my, my closest friends. You were, you were there. You were someone that was always present. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Now, as you read that verse right there, you can imagine now why they will oftentimes say it, it points us to looking at John chapter number 18. Because when you read that verse, if you were to read that verse without having any uh, understanding of what takes place or where it's coming from concerning Second Samuel chapter number 15, I would imagine many of our minds would go to Jesus and Judas. And whenever the betrayal takes place. And so as you come to John, I mean, uh, Psalm 41, you come to this psalm right here. And this is a psalm where David is trying to relay some things unto the Lord. And he's calling out to God because, again, he's found himself in a season where he doesn't quite understand why this is taking place. You go to 2 Samuel chapter number 15. And I can imagine as Ahithophel has just betrayed David, he's probably wondering, what in the world just happened? Absalom has pulled you to his side. How could you do this? But how many times have we done the same thing? 
How many times in our own lives did you think about certain times whenever the Lord might be calling us to do something and we kind of go with the world for just a season or so? Uh, Many times I've heard testimonies of young people and I've heard testimonies of Christians who had gotten saved at an early age and then went and invested their entire life in the world and what the devil had to offer only later on to realize that it was a wasted life. All of the things that the world has to offer compares nothing to what God has for us. You know, it's been said by one preacher, and I believe by a slew of them, that if you kill your enemies with kindness, you won't have to go to prison for murder. You think about that. You see, in, in, second, in, in Psalms 41, you come to a psalm here where David has the opportunity to do something. You see, he's just been stabbed in the back, if you were to say it that way. He's just been slandered. He's just found himself in a season where people are saying some things about him. And later on in Psalm 41, you'll understand, because later on in Psalm 41, he begins to relay that the enemy is trying to tear down his name. As a matter of fact, Absalom and Ahithophel go, and they try to get people to believe that David is sick and on his deathbed. As they begin to tear down David, you can imagine the emotions that he's having. And very quickly, he could have gotten stirred up. He could have gotten frustrated. He could have gotten mad and said, you know what? Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. That's not what he does. You see, David all throughout, if you go to 2 Samuel, you begin to study the life of David, 1 Samuel, and you begin to see that there were many times in David's life whenever someone or something had been taking place that he could have reacted out of I don't know, the flesh. He could have handled things his own way. This past Sunday, we were dealing with uh, the, the, the subject of forgiveness. And if you go back and as you look in, in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 25 and even in chapter number 18, you begin to see all the many times in which David began to forgive Saul. And there's a particular time whenever they're in the cave, and as they're in the cave, there's a time when David could have taken Saul's life. But what does he do? He cuts the garment. And then he begins to show Saul, hey, I could have taken your life. And not only does he begin to show Saul that, but he begins to remind his men, this is not what the Lord would have. And in our lives, there are many times whenever somebody might be saying something about you, when something is taking place in your life, whenever you're going to have people that are mocking you, ridiculing you, uh, stabbing you in the back, if you want to say it that way, and you must ask this question. You know, it was a question that was asked a long time ago, about 20 years ago. There was a phrase that was used often, and they had bracelets that were made. WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I, I've been reminded, you know, as, as, as corny as that little slogan might have been as far as on that right there, many times we're going to face things we have to ask ourselves, what would Jesus have for me to do? How would the Lord have for me to handle this? And so you see in Psalm 41 that David handles this by going to the Lord immediately. Not only does he go to the Lord, but if you look at Psalm 41, you'll begin to see how David reminds himself, number one, notice with me, the promise. You see some promises here in the verse three verses. The Bible says, blessed is he that considereth the poor. Now, that first statement that we're going to deal with here in a few moments, this is not talking about the poor, those who are on the side of the street that uh, are unwilling to maybe get a job or those who are are unable to to, to live in a house. It's not talking about that type of poor. It's not talking about those who, who are on the side and cannot do anything or they're, they're looking for a job. Or whatever. It's not talking about that type of poor. You see, the poor that it's making reference to is those who've been cast to the side, those who've been, who've been ridiculed, those who are no longer, they're living in a desolate place because they feel as though they're all alone. 
This is where David found himself once again. He says, blessed is he that considereth the poor. Notice this next phrase, another promise. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I love the beginning of this psalm because immediately David, as he is facing what's taking place, later on in the, in the end of Psalm 41, you'll find that he begins to address all of the things that the enemy is trying to do. But it's an amazing thing that before he even says anything about what his enemy is trying to do, he reminds himself of what God is capable of doing. What a powerful reminder in our own lives that, hey, the enemy might have one plan, but God has another plan. And I'm so thankful in my life that there have been times when someone might have said something behind my back or someone might have mocked me or ridiculed me. But guess what? I, if I'm living with God and on God's side, I could care less what the world has to say. I have some friends, I have some family, I have some individuals that might not agree with me being a preacher. But guess what? God called me to be one. The will for my life has been placed in my life and what God has for me is far more amazing to look at what God's capable of doing than anything I thought I could do. I look at my life and I look back and I love basketball and I I share that testimony about basketball because if there's a young person that is willing to go and to do something and miss God's calling on their life because they're great at something else, listen, my life was given to basketball. My life was given to sports and activities and all of those many things and I'm so thankful that even after I said yes to God's will, He's allowed me to have an opportunity to still use that. But can I share with you, my plan was to play basketball but God's plan was for me to preach. My plan was for me to go and do something athletic but God said, hey, I have a greater purpose for you but hey, if you say yes to this, watch what I can still do with this. And within our lives, as you find the enemy sometimes will say, hey, what were you thinking? I'll say, hey, I I just said yes to God. As I think about those young boys saying, hey, I don't know what God has for me, but I just want to surrender. What an amazing testimony. As you think about even some who are who are older and surrender to the will of God for their life or whatever the case, it doesn't matter. As long as you surrender and say, God, right now I'm surrendered, then watch what God's capable of doing. You see the promises that David begins to start with. In verse number 1, he uses the phrase, blessed is he. Immediately he's reminding himself, hey, what a blessing. How blessed could I be and how blessed I am. You see, because that statement, blessed is he that considereth the poor, is speaking of the mercy, if you would. The mercy that is offered at some point will also be reciprocated. You think about in our own lives and you think about the statement that the world tries to, 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 to make. They'll say, what goes around comes around. And you think about that. Oftentimes that term or that statement is used whenever someone has done you wrong. They'll say, hey, well, what goes around comes around. But in the, in the reality of everything, whenever you are serving God, and, and you've heard testimony after testimony, uh, just a couple of, uh, about last year, whenever we had our missions conference, or maybe it was the year before, I remember the Lynch family sharing a testimony and some others about how God had led them to, to do something specific concerning missions giving. And they began to, to, to say, you know what, Lord, that's a little bit more than we've given, but we'll say yes to that. And, and sure enough, the, the first month came around and, and they had some problems come on their vehicle, I believe. But guess what? God provided another way for that missions giving to come. Why? Because they said yes. Blessed is he. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I don't believe in prosperity gospel, but I do believe this. If you live for God, God's blessings on your life will come because he always supplies every need we have. 
You find that in Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 19, when it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It amazes me sometimes whenever I'm talking to someone and they say, You know what? I just don't understand why everything is going so wrong in my life. And one of the first things I ask is, Well, how is your walk with the Lord? Well... Why are you sitting there asking God to bless you when you won't even spend any time with Him, when you won't even spend an ounce of your day reading the Bible or spending time in prayer? You're unfaithful to the house of God, and you begin to wonder why God's just not blessing your life. And you say, well, you know, I just don't understand it. Well, why don't you go back to the place in your life when you said, you know what, Lord, what would you have for me to do? And start right there. I guarantee, you know, I appreciate the young people, and I was able to go back this past uh, Sunday or two Sundays ago, and I was able to be back at um, my father-in-law's church and be able to preach there. And as I was sitting in the Sunday school hour, and he was talking for just a few moments and talking about the will of God. The will of God for young people, they, they think about the will of God, and they always think about these questions. And I was there before. They think about, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to have? What's my career going to be like? How many kids am I going to be? They begin to think about all of those many things. And in the Christian life, sometimes we have to be brought back to reality that if we're unable to do the present will of God, reading our Bible, spending time in prayer, being faithful to the house of God, doing what the Lord has called us specifically to do within the Christian life, then how can we ever expect God to show us forth what He has for us? You see, if you're not willing to walk in the present with the Lord, how can you imagine walking in the future with the Lord? It's an amazing thing sometimes within our lives, but David here is reminding himself, blessed is he that considereth the poor. Notice another encouraging promise. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him. At the end it says, thou wilt not deliver him. In verse number 3 it says, the Lord will strengthen So all of these promises are being seen. So right here in the promises you're seeing in verses 1 through 3 as you read these that David has a fear if you would. I believe every Christian has a fear. Every Christian, if you were to ask, you know, I think there was a poll one time that had went around and it wasn't a Christian poll for, you know, as far as what church members or Christians would say, but just a a general poll. And the poll was asked, what is your biggest fear in life? And the overwhelming answer was oftentimes that, that I wouldn't be successful. Well, what is success? defined as you know as you think about the christian life what is a successful life you know as a pastor the temptation as a preacher the temptation comes whenever you say well what is a successful life well as a pastor the temptation becomes you you, people begin to say well a a successful pastor is one who fills the auditorium up well that doesn't always uh, define success i've sat in services before where the church was completely packed and you could just tell that God was not in that place. You say, well, what's the, what's the def- definition of uh, success? The definition of success by some is that someone lead a, a large ministry or someone do this or do that or whatever the case may be. But I have found that in my own personal life, when I de- try to define the, the, the life of someone who is successful in the Christian life, it is this, that they're given to God, that they have a personal relationship with the Lord, that God has not just a little bit of them, but all of them. As I think about success in the Christian life, I oftentimes wonder if, you know, as Christians, if that is a fear for us. Well, listen, if you spend every single day not trying to please man, but trying to please God, at the end of your life, you'll be able to say this, hey, man might not have always agreed with everything I did, but as I followed God, I wholeheartedly knew that I was always in the perfect will of God, and hey, guess what? I'll count that a successful Christian life. 
Paul is one that I look at, and I believe Paul, even as his old age approached, he said, hey, I don't want to be a castaway. God, don't quit using me. I still want to be used up to this point. Lord, don't stop now, if you would. David's fear, if you would, look with me, just a few things. David's fear, you begin to see his condition was a fear. In verse number 1, he says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The condition of his life at this point in time was that he was poor. He was desolate, if you would. He was, he was outcast, if you would. He was, uh, you know, one who was, you know, struggling and needing. He was rejected because someone had betrayed him. This is not speaking of one materialistically. It's not that they don't have anything. No, it's not speaking of that because David had much, but he felt rejected. He felt needful. He, he, he was in a place where he was alone, if you would. And David's fear had become very simple that he was alone in this life and he was walking through. And so David's fear was one of condition. Hey, Lord, I'm as one who is poor. I'm rejected. I'm needy, if you would. But not only do you see the fear of his condition, you also see the fear of his confidence. He says in verse number 2, The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. Have you ever prayed a prayer or had, had a lot of confidence in, in something, but you at the same time you were, a little, you, you, were, you were given, but you weren't necessarily buying into it yet? Let me illustrate it this way. You knew what to say, but you just didn't know if it was going to take place. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, the, the, the end of the month has come, and hey, you've got an entire week, but there's nothing in the bank. And as the Christian would say, God's going to provide. We say it with confidence. God's going to provide, but in secret. Lord, are you going to provide? Hey, with much confidence, but there's still some fear. But what if he doesn't this time? Can I share with you, you're here tonight. You may be struggling. You may be going through something. You say, hey, hey, God's going to provide. And guess what? You'll watch what God does. You see, David's confidence was one that he understood that the Lord would, could and would take care of him. You know why? I imagine in David's own life, he had, to, had some time that he could go and he could reflect on all the times that the Lord has. Psalm 78 always comes to my mind whenever the subject of can God, because that statement in that passage of Scripture, that question, can God, just is one that I've determined I'm never going to ask that question because I know God can. You know, we had a, we're having a meeting this upcoming Sunday evening, and I don't want to spill the beans, but uh, it's, it's probably no surprise that uh, the, the things for a building have gone up in price over the last year. So this last Thursday, whenever I got off the phone, I remember talking to the contractor and he said, now I'm just going to be up front. I'm going to be honest with you. I love when a contractor is up front and honest, number one. He says, I'm just, I don't want to discourage you. But I, I, said, I said, well, hold up. You just said you don't want to discourage me by saying that. You've done discourage me now. <laughs> Joking with him. He says, the price of a building a, a year ago has gone up, you know, a little bit more. And I'll be honest with you. I got off that phone call and I said, man, are you serious? What, what are we going to do? come to church that Thursday evening. And if you were here that Thursday evening, it was when Brother Austin Brown preached the message on Ebenezer. And if you remember what he was trying to drive home in that evening service is this. He was trying to drive home that simple fact of watching in that place when God did something, and he said, we need to raise up some Ebenezer's. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if anyone else got anything out of that service, but I walked away from that service saying, you know what, here I was at the very beginning of this day emphasizing, uh, you know, can God. My spirit was saying, can God. And here I am sitting there in, in, in my seat listening to the message. And once again, God, the Holy Spirit begins to prick on my heart and remind me, oh, thou of little faith. 
Have I not provided everything that you've needed? Hey, when you began to pray for some things within the local church, I provided. When I began to pray for uh, for a second piano player, God provided. When I began to pray for some more families, God provided. When I began to pray for some Sunday school teachers, God provided. All along the ministry of local church, God has shown me that, hey, he can and he's capable of doing so. And on a Thursday afternoon, I'm sitting there in my seat at the house saying, can God raise up the funds to put something on that property? And here the preacher comes, not even knowing that I had that conversation, and saying, hey, you know what we need? We need God to do a work in some places and some Christians to raise up another Ebenezer and say, hey, look what God did. I'll tell you what, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see, but I'll be honest with you. I found myself, like in verse number 2, David saying, hey, the Lord will preserve. Hey, I found myself saying, God's going to provide. Right? You're going to provide, right, Lord? I found myself that way. Number three, concerning his fears, his comfort was a fear. We may be back here next week concerning Psalm 41, but I believe if we're all being honest, none of us, I've said it time and time again, that being in, in in a zone, in a place of uncomfortable, of the unknown, is the best place a Christian can be because you're always relying upon God, not yourself. But I believe David, as he emphasizes some things in verse number three, he says, the Lord will strengthen him. Upon the bed of languishing, thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I believe his comfort was a fear. You think about comfort within our own lives, and the first three verses in this this psalm here begins to help us understand that his comfort was something that was a fear of his. Whenever the Lord begins to draw us out of our comfort zone, one of the things that holds us back is that it's unfamiliar territory. It's not something that we want to be a part of. It's not something that we want to be. It's not a a place we would like to park, if you would. And so notice with me some things concerning this statement of his comfort being a fear. In verse number 2, notice the statement right here, the Lord will preserve him. This speaks of some protection. Uh, Concerning the comfort level, I believe that David illustrated and helped us understand that, hey, God, I want you to protect me, and God, you can protect me, Lord, it's, it's uncomfortable where I'm at right this very moment. Lord, I need you. Thou wilt protect me. I need you right here. Concerning this word preserve here, if you would, this word preserve speaks of a hedge around something. And so when you think about this word preserve, if I were uh, walking with my child, and it is oftentimes whenever I am, whenever we are walking about to go into the road, I will always typically pull them to right here. And guess what? I'm trying to protect them in case a car comes flying by. It's preserving them from any harm's way. David is illustrating and helping us understand that, hey, God, I need you to protect me. I need you to to, to put a hedge around me right now. Now, I want to remind you of something. What's taking place in Psalm 41, God's, I would say, God's, um, his, his, how do you you say this? His, His, not his anger, but his punishment for David's sin is being handled out, if you would. All right, he's allowing some things to take place in David's life because of David's own sin, but David's not worried or concerned with the sin up to this point. The first three verses, the only thing that David is helping us understand is that he is facing some enemies because the enemy is his main concern. But later on in this psalm, if you would, look with me in verse number 8. In verse number 7 and 8 of this verse right or this passage of Scripture right here, he says right here, All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him, and now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Now, 
As you continue reading this portion of Scripture, you come to verse number 11 and you see that the, the, the sin of David as it's being addressed by the enemies taking him, not captive if you would, but they're trying to. God is allowing David to go through some things in his own life because of his sin. But in verse number 11, the Bible says this, By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Amen. So David's facing some things, and not because of someone else's fault, Not because someone else did something, because of David's own sin, but he thought the enemy was going to overtake him. And God allows him to go through some of these things. And as David is asking God, preserve me, he doesn't realize God's going to, but he's also allowing David to feel the pain of sin. You see, sin always has a consequence. And sometimes we may think that our sin has gotten everybody else fooled, but your sin will never fool God. And you may be able to fool everyone around you. You may be able to fool the pastor. You may be able to fool your family. You may be able to fool your friends. But God is aware of that sin. And as we allow that sin to take us captive, it might be weeks, it might be months, it might be a couple years, but sin always has a consequence. Sin always brings pain when it never was intended for us to experience that. And so you think about this. He's asking for protection. Not only that, in verse number 1, he says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Notice this next phrase. The Lord will deliver him... In time of trouble. You see the period of this. You see his fear, his comfort. He was seeking protection. But also notice the period of time in which it brought about this fear. It brought about fear whenever he found himself in trouble. In every single one of our lives as Christians, we may not in our own Christian life pray every single day and thank the Lord or praise the Lord. But I bet every single one of us could raise our hands and say when we're in time of trouble, we're going to the Lord. You know why? Because there's never a time in our lives where we, we, we admire the fact that we are going through trouble and we almost embrace it. We don't love going through seasons of difficulty. And so when that season of difficulty comes, we immediately go to God and say, Lord, we need you now. We need you right this very moment. So notice the period here of his, his, his time. You see, God's help in the Christian life is, is oftentimes most appreciated and oftentimes most sought out in the times of trouble. Whatever you're facing and whenever you're facing that period of your time, that season of life, you will find yourself seeking God. And so you see his period, if you would, of seeking some comfort. Not only that, in verse number 2, he also goes on to say at the very end, as you continue reading, he says, The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed. Notice that statement, he shall be blessed. You see the prosperity here of continuously talking about, again, we're not talking about a prosperity gospel. You see, there's a difference in us, in our own lives, thinking we need something and God knowing we need something. There have been many times where I was was praying and said, Lord, I need this. And God was saying, you don't need that. You've done fine without it this whole time. Why would you need it now? But I'll guarantee you this. God has never never held back anything that I was intended and needed to have in that moment. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's saying, hey, God has always given us. Again, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He always gives us what we need. In verse number 2, we also see not only the prosperity, but we see the prevention. Thou wilt not deliver. You see, the enemy ultimately lost, if you would. The enemy's not going to get hold on David. He understands that, and as he's seeking God, he is being able to experience some things, and he's reminding himself once again. I'm so thankful that David helps us to understand that in the midst of a, a difficult season of something that we're going through, if someone's bad-mouthing you, if someone's uh, stabbing you in the back, if someone is slandering your name, hey, go to God first and just remind yourself of what God has already done and what he's capable of doing. God's already aware of the enemy and what's taking place. Again, if you kill your enemy with kindness, you won't have to go to prison for murder. Now you say, well, I would never kill someone. 
Well, let me illustrate it this way. You won't lose your testimony. And you say, well, they deserved it. Did your testimony take a little beating? Well, they, you know, they needed to hear that. But is that how a Christian should speak? You know, someone had to put them in their place, but is that what God had intended? You see, let God deal with them. You know, it's, it's much sweeter whenever you kill your enemy with kindness and you, you, you say the right things and you forgive when you're supposed to and you, you do all those things and you, you make sure that it's handled the right way and, and then all of a sudden the enemy comes to you and, and I don't know, I, I've had some enemies that have gotten frustrated, you know, whenever they're wanting to fight, whenever they're wanting to argue. I grew up with some guys like that that they, they just loved to argue and they would it was almost like any time you started to have a conversation with you, somehow it became a debate. You know, like you know, you walk into school, man, how was your day? It's been great. No, it's not. What in the world? Are we, we arguing now about whether it's been a good day or not? You know, I mean, it's it just immediately the very beginning of the day, it's just like a debate starts. And they want to fight. They want to argue. But can I encourage you, don't give in to it. You know, a life, you've heard it, a lifelong testimony of what Christ has done in your life can be ruined in just a split moment. Just a slip of the tongue. Uh, just one action. You say, well, does it diminish all the good that I've done for Christ? No, but it does diminish in that moment what Christ could have continued to do. You know, I was watching something just the other day. I was watching an interview, and I don't agree with 99.9% of this individual's lifestyle but I appreciate what he had to say. Charles Barkley was speaking on LeBron James. Everyone probably knows LeBron James and, and Charles Barkley. And uh, Charles Barkley was talking about LeBron James. I believe this was actually a couple years ago, but it's resurfacing. And he says, for, for a young man to come in the league at 18 years old and to be expected to live up to the hype, and not only to be expected to, but actually to live up to the hype, whether you like LeBron James or not, he is one of the best to ever play the game, all right? But to live up to the hype, but he said that's not the most important part. That's not the thing that's fascinating. He says, but to never get into an ounce of trouble in the league. You know, LeBron James, we might not agree with him politically and a lot of stances that he has taken, but he's never gotten in trouble with the law. He's never done anything that would, would, would do something that we take it further and say, you know what, that guy, that guy has, has, has said something to the law or he's, he's done this or that. And, and I said, you know what? As I was watching that, I was amazed because I said, you know what, how many times within a Christian's life do we miss that? You know, because we get caught up in the moment or we get caught up in something. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, every single one of us here tonight, you've had someone say something about you behind your back. You know why? Because mankind is still sinful and in the flesh. So you've wronged someone or someone's wronged you. You've said something. And can I remind you within the Christian life, anytime you say, well, I've never once gossiped about someone. Anytime you talk about someone behind their back and, and you might be just trying to graze around it, you say, well, I wasn't technically. Listen, gossip is gossip. And you say, well, you know, there, there's different levels. No, if you're talking about someone behind their back, then you're gossiping about them. Every single one of us has been guilty of it a time or two. And that's the sinful nature within us. But David here is reminding us that doesn't have to be the case. We can go directly to the Lord. Verse number 3, we see his power. The Bible says right here, the Lord will strengthen him. The Lord will strengthen him. You know, one of the, the most amazing things within the Christian life, and I pray that every Christian gets to experience it, is that whenever you find yourself in this, this season of life or this moment in time, 
that you're not trying to rest in your own strength and your power, but you find that divine power. You know, if you've, if you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That, that time whenever you are so drained and you can't give any further and you tell God, I can't do it. But you're reminded of the book of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as God calls you to do it, he'll supply your needs. Yes, sir. As he allows you to experience not your power, but his divine power. Now, I don't know that we have much time tonight, and so we'll continue next week. But in the first three verses, we see the promises that he reflects on. And can I encourage you tonight, within your own personal life, if you are finding yourself going through maybe a difficult season, maybe you're, you're struggling about something, or maybe you, you found yourself where someone has said something hurtful about you, or you're reflecting on that, and you say, you know what, I, I need to address that person, I need to get it right, I need, to, I need to let them have it. No, 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 how would God have for you to handle it? Well, David reminds us right here in Psalm 41 and, uh, that we, we go to that individual or we go to the Lord first and foremost and say, Lord, let me first remind myself of all the many times you've come through. And as you read Psalm 41, notice verse number 4. We won't spend much time. We'll just read the rest of this and then be we done tonight. He says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Now, every preacher says that. It's just hard. You know, when you get into the Bible and you start reading, it's hard to stop somewhere. I'll stop here. I'll try to stop here. <laughs> hey, all them little memes that y'all made the other day when the preacher says he'll be done and then 30 minutes later, whatever the case might be, and I was sitting here like that. It just happens. It's hard. David starts off in this psalm here reminding himself of what God can do and the promises of God. But notice in verse number 4, he doesn't even address the sinfulness of his enemy. Notice here in verse number 4, he says, I said, Lord, be merciful. He's, in, he's acknowledging his own sin. Yeah. You know what will help you to, to forgive others? You know what will help you uh, and, and all of us here to make sure that when someone says something about us or when someone wrongs us, you know what will help us is to acknowledge our own sin first. Yes, Amen. God, you know what? I've wronged you. Yeah. He says right here, Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Now he goes into the enemies. My enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to himself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. And evil disease say they cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Again, 2 Samuel chapter number... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 15, you go and you'll find that they were trying to make other people believe that, hey, David's done for. He's on his deathbed now. There's no more David... Verse number 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend, whom I trusted. Uh, he was right there. He walked with me. And he, he helped me. He was an aid to me. Not only was he an aid to me, but in, he says, Which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. He closes out by praising the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You know, as you read the Psalms and other portions of Scripture, sometimes it's very easy for us to think we have it harder than what we truly do. You read words like enemy, and you immediately you begin to think that someone truly is your enemy. You know, and there have been some people that 
I didn't really get along with when I first met them in college. But now they're good friends of mine. And I'd be tempted to read uh, the Psalms. I'd be thinking, man, that, that guy's an enemy of mine. He's not an enemy of mine. We just didn't get along the first time we met. And truly, when you think about the enemy, you know who the enemy is? The devil. The enemy is the devil, and the enemy is trying to discourage and disrupt any way he can in every single one of our lives. I was telling Brother John this just a couple of weeks ago, and as you think about what God has done within our lives, as we were heading into the month of August, as we were even heading into the, the, the week that we were having our Generation Generation Conference, we had a meeting here, and I remember addressing this, and I said, how many of you have felt as though you've gone through it this week in preparation to the Generation Generation meeting? That's because the devil wasn't looking forward to seeing what God was going to do. And as I think about that, I had one preacher who was talking to me, and I won't spill the beans on the name of this preacher, but the individual was talking and had mentioned some of the meetings that they had gone to and, and how some of the meetings were great and, and, and good, but he, he made this statement. He said, but I'll tell you what, I could sense that God was in this meeting. And we all were there. We, 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 our minds go back to that meeting. And you look at uh, what God did in that meeting, and you see that God was working, and you see young people running to an altar, and you see the altars flooding, you see decisions being made, and you see youth directors coming up and saying, hey, I needed that, but more than that, this young person needed that. You see all of these many things, and can I share with you, God continued that work in the month of, of August, and God, as He's working within our church, and we're seeing all the many good things, can I share with you, the enemy's still right there. Don't open that door. Don't crack that door because the moment you do, the devil's going to find his footing. And we'll be tempted to think that someone else is the enemy. That's not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. Don't let him in. As you think about this psalm, I would encourage you to go and read Psalm 41. And as you read Psalm 41, as he says, Blessed is he, he uses the statement, The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. He goes on, The Lord will preserve him and keep him. He shall be blessed. Thou wilt not deliver him. The Lord, go back. Within your own life, whatever you're facing, just remind yourself of some of the things that God has done. And when you're tempted to think that you have it worse than someone else or that you have it bad, just allow yourself to be reminded, as we heard last Thursday, God's been good. And He's been too good. I was listening today to my children, again, singing in the vehicle, and I love it that they've got some of these hymns memorized and as they're wanting to just listen to these hymns. Now, at the age of 29, I might be tired of hearing, oh, how I love Jesus every once in a while. But then I'm reminded, you know what? I'm really not because my children are growing up and saying, oh, how I love Jesus. And there are some times when I needed the reminder that I was able to read in Psalm 41. And so could I encourage you tonight to reflect on some of those promises. Next week, we'll deal with the plea that David offers. And then, Lord willing, we'll finish next week with the, uh, the, the praise that he also offers as well. But in this psalm... He starts off by looking at the promises, deals with his own sin, deals with the enemy, and then finds himself looking to God once again. So again, in Psalm 41, as we've seen in many of the Psalms, David starts out looking up to God, and he finishes out looking up to God. And in the middle, God begins to do the work. Again, what the prayer that is offered and the prayer that is answered, God is doing the work right here in the middle. Never forget it. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness tonight. I pray that you would help us, guide us, and direct us. Lord, I pray that you would just deal with your people, Lord, in the way that you see fit. And we'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed.